0: Welcome, everybody, to the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am your host, Bo Richards, and with me is my co host, Dan Humphrey. Hey, hey. Today, we are going to go over a uh, very controversial movie on Netflix, or at least controversial um, as it relates to how Facebook personally feels about it. Um, oh, so, you haven't heard any of the, uh,
1: any, any, Of the social media, pushback or thoughts on it. So, yeah. Apparently,
0: I uh, I, I have heard but have not looked into personally, um, which maybe I should have for this podcast, but I did not. um, But I've heard that uh, there's been some uh, minor upsetness over it, which uh, you watch the movie and you can understand why. Oh, sure. Um, I, I don't really blame Facebook or Instagram or Google for being a little prickly, you know, over over the movie, but, uh, the movie is The Social Dilemma. If you have not watched it, uh, watch it. Um, if you're prone to nightmares, don't watch it.
1: (laughs) I would be willing to say this is quite possibly the most important documentary of our generation.
0: Yes. Yeah. I could see that. I could see a case for that. Um, so I was going to watch it last night and my girlfriend, she was like, Um, beforehand she was asking what we what i wanted to watch and she suggested possibly at some point soon watching uh, like a scary movie um because it's halloween soon and i was like well you know i gotta watch the social dilemma tonight for the podcast you know do you mind watching it with me she's like no i'd love to we watched it and i was like well there's our scary movie for the month (laughs) and because this is scarier than any horror movie i've ever seen yeah and uh for our listeners who have not seen The Social Dilemma, like I said, go watch it. It's basically a breakdown of some of the more pernicious issues that have ar- arisen from uh, social media companies' attempts to gain viewers and you know push ads because it's all ad revenue related. That's how they mm-hmm. get paid. It takes a lot of things that I think people year a couple of years ago thought were conspiracy and sort of shed some actual truth and light to those, excuse me, the uh, the notion that um, how they're collecting our data and what they're doing with it, um, how precisely these companies are monitoring our keystrokes and all those kinds of things and how long we look. I remember a couple of, like four or five years ago in particular, um, maybe it was a little bit longer, but uh, there was a fear that Facebook was tracking um, how long uh, their its users read posts and stuff for before they scrolled through them or watched videos and all that kind of thing and people were like nah they don't track that they don't track your keyboard stroke they don't track like if you look at similar videos like all this kind of stuff and um, this may have been even longer than like five or six years ago and people were like that that's that's silly that, that's a that's a lot of data mining to do and that's exactly what they're doing in order to better give people stuff that they wanna watch and then also throw some ads in so that you might click on them and then they give you more ads and then they make money by showing the ads of other companies. And it's a brilliant marketing strategy.
1: Well, I would say it's an effective marketing strategy. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't go so far as to call it brilliant just because of the uh, effects that we are now seeing are um, possibly existential.
0: Yes. My pushback would be, and the reason I would consider it brilliant, is that I don't think that anything has been more effective in terms of the overarching goal of a company.
1: Oh, no, not at all. And that's what I mean by brilliant,
0: is that the individuals and groups who came up with the the algorithms and the the, um, A-B testing in particular, um, which they talk about a little bit in in, in the movie, but, um, and for those unfamiliar, generally speaking, A-B testing is you take an advertisement, in this case, let's say, and then you change one thing. That's it. You don't change multiples, you change one. So maybe the font is white in one ad and blue in the other. And then you test it on how many ever thousands of people. And you see kind of what whatever the results you're looking for, you see which one does better. And then you do, Facebook will do millions upon billions, depending on how much money they're being paid or what they're trying to find out. They'll do millions and billions of AB testings. So they'll do red versus blue, and then they'll change the actual font itself or the size of the font. or They'll change the picture, but they do one at a time and then they slowly start to change it and find out what is the best ad to show somebody. Right?
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's old school. It is old school. That started, I think in the Mm fifties, they started doing AB testing.
0: Brilliant strategy. Um,
1: Yeah, no, it, it definitely works. It's what makes it, um, concerning now is their ability to a do it at scale and the ai that they can attach to it to refine the testing um it's basically it's just the speed at which they can get this done it has become um you know exponentially more effective so they they have gotten you know really, really good at it. (laughs) We'll get into some of the details later. I kind of wanted to open up with a quote from, I believe it was E.L. Wilson. And he said, the fundamental problem of society is that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and accelerating godlike technologies. In a nutshell, and that'll probably make more sense toward the end of this podcast as we talk about it a bit, but I think that really encapsulates... The, the fundamental weakness that is being exploited here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I forget the which of the interviewees, but he said that uh, since 1960, computer programming power has evolved and increased 100 quadrillion times. That's, how, that's the power increase of computers since 1960, and mm-hmm. 100 qu- quadrillion which, and I believe a quadrillion is a hundred trillion trillions or something. It's like a huge number. It'd it's be a thousand trillions. A thousand, a thousand trillions, there yeah. we go. So it's an absurdly large amount of power, whereas cars have only gotten twice as fast in right. that time frame. Yeah. And the brain has evolved zero. Uh, yeah. Is near <laughs> at the same time. We're still this, running old hardware. Yeah, and so it's like, that isn't really a fair fight. Not even close. And if we're the subject of the fight, which humans are because it's about trying to get human interaction with whatever the product is and or the ad is or what have you, it's like that isn't really comparable. We don't have a way as an individual or even as groups, I think. I don't think there's a large enough group of people that would have the wherewithal, the brain capacity or what have you to – to fight the problem, whatever the problem may be. I mean, it's just, it's so large. It's so, it's computed so quickly. And so, so massively that, I mean, what do you even do? Yeah. And, um,
1: well, I mean, you're literally, when it comes to, uh, trying to get your attention, you as the person with the phone in your hand are pitting a million year old piece of hardware, meaning our brains haven't really changed in a million years, same old brain. Um, and you're pitting that against, Um, not only the the programmers at the other end of the screen that are vying for your attention, but you're also pitting it against the AI that is growing exponentially, honestly faster than we can really even track. Mm -hmm. So your million-year-old brain against thousands of developers and artificial intelligence, yeah, it's definitely not a fair fight.
0: You're not going to win that. No, not at all. And this is one of my nightmares. I actually have had nightmares about this sort of thing. You know, just mm-hmm. um, we've talked about this a little bit uh on the podcast. We've talked about it definitely off the podcast, but I don't like um the government knowing things about me. I don't like big companies knowing things about me. One of the things we talked about off uh, off air is that uh, I had mentioned made a joke about when we were starting this podcast. I wanted to uh, start every podcast with a different sign on name so that no one would <laughs> ever know my actual name. And it, I just don't like people knowing. Like it's it's my, what I do is my own business. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be. I don't want there to be any kind of oversight, governmental or otherwise, over what I do. And uh, in With that, though, like I take, I'm willing to bear the responsibility of those actions. Like that's how I see government and big corporations should, roughly speaking, function for myself. I don't, you know, if I'm going to get all the freedom to do the things that I want to do, it's on me to make sure that I don't abuse that. And not everyone can do that because we have some terrible people in the world. And we'll talk more about some people will want to do good things, like the uh, initial individuals who invented social media stuff. Um, But it creates bad things because, as the saying goes, you know, the the pathway to hell is, you know, littered with good intentions, right? And um, Paved with good intentions. Yeah. 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 Um, But so it's, you know, not everyone's kind of feel that way. But for me personally, like I – this stuff scares me because even as someone who doesn't use social media all that much, you know, and I'm susceptible to some of the things they talk about in, in the movie to a degree, you know, well. I'll look up and 20 minutes have gone by and I've been scrolling through Instagram. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen often. And then I get really angry because I remember how much I hate social media and I don't look at my phone for like three days. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but. Well, you know, I think that, and let's, I
1: want to give like an overall, you know, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Hey, it's just social media. Who cares? So define that. But I think it's also important mm-hmm. that you and I acknowledge the context that uh, neither of us are really on social media. Um, it just doesn't do much for either of us. However, you know, we both live in a world Mm -hmm. that is dominated by social media and whether or not you actually participate in social media, whether or not you have these apps on your phone, uh, this does affect you. Um, And hopefully uh, you and I, since we are not saturated with social media, uh, say as much as, you know, the average social media user may help us get a a little bit of an outside view, mm-hmm. you know, if you're caught up in it, then it's just so awesome that you gotta stick with it and uh, and not question it. Yep. Um, but I, it definitely needs to be questioned. And, in, you know, in this film, the people that originally created it, these are not pundits or anything making comments. These are the guys that actually developed this stuff. They know how it works and they are warning us that it's a problem.
0: One of the guys was actually <clears throat> the co-creator of the like button on Facebook. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The exactly. straight up
0: like button.
1: Yeah. The guys that, that actually made the stuff. Yeah. Um so I think the the overarching problem here is that um since our lives have moved online um that that that's the new world and this new world is Affected by different rules and has the ability to um to affect what happens in quote unquote real life. So what happens online does have repercussions in the streets, so to speak. Uh, and we've honestly been seeing that for a couple decades now. Or well, not a couple decades. Um what started a couple decades ago got um got inflamed, if you will, by the power of social media. Mm -hmm. So the natural tendency for tribalism and division and polarization, that's just a human thing, but that's magnified and allowed to, um, to solidify more than ever before. And because of that, you say, what's the problem? The problem is the polarization and the division and the inability to distinguish or even accept actual facts, that that's having results in real life. You know, we get to Donald Trump as a result of that. Um, and these are the things that, you know, if we look at society and say, oh my God, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, mm-hmm. this is the tool. And it's not even a tool, we'll Getting that later, but this is the tool that has allowed that to happen and facilitated that to happen.
0: Um, I think I know why, or I have a theory about why that that is the case. Um, it's not fully fleshed out, but like, All of our podcasts, I generally have a crazy theory that I go through and it's usually not fully fleshed out, but I'm trying to like think through it. And so if I, this might be a good time if I may to kind of go through that. Let's do it. So do you know what reification is? I do not. So reification, it's actually a a Marxist term. It wasn't coined by Marx himself, but Marx did uh, write a, he wrote about a, a phenomena and then someone later on down the Marxist line. So like a someone who was a student of a student of his or something to that effect coined the term reification to give a definition to what he had uh, talked about. It's it's, Broadly speaking, it's the the notion of making something into a thing. So making something abstract or not real into something real. Um, A very simple example of this is uh, confusing a map of a place for the place itself. Okay, so... Which is, that? that's actually, that's technically one of the simple examples I was able to find, though the more I think about it, I don't really, it, it it's kind of a hard one to grasp because when you look at a map, I think the reason it works is because when you look at a map on your phone, let's say Google Maps, no one consciously thinks this isn't the map, this isn't the real world. They think it's a map to the place and they expect to get there. But the two are about the same in their view because the map is correct. But it technically is not the real world. If you confuse it for the real world, that becomes a problem. Um, Other instances of this um, are generally like abstract intellectual thoughts. So uh, white fragility, the concept of white fragility in and of itself is a reification. Uh, One of the criticisms is that it's a logical fallacy. It's the reification fallacy, which is conflating an abstract theory as a real thing. And that makes it illogical because it's not real. Um, So it's a very interesting concept. And I... As I was watching the movie, this is what popped into my head. In particular, there was a scene where um, – or a couple of scenes where uh, the AI, he's played by um, – I'm trying to remember his name. He plays Pete in Mad Men. It was he—it was the same character, and it was three different people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all like – it's AI that's like driving ads and like trying to throw videos at this kid and, uh, you know, succeed at getting him to use his phone more. And they talk him through the whole thing about how like initially there's like this – 3d drawing of a person that's a humanoid that has no face and just does nubs and stuff and then as they get to learn more and more about the teenager that's the star of the show um it gets more filled in and you start to get you get and at the end of the movie there's his whole picture and he's real right so they're taking his what he does his um how long he spends looking at his phone the things that he looks at the things he swipes through his messaging all of his particularities on his phone. And they use those to develop an actual real life model of who he is, mm-hmm. even though what he's doing isn't in real life. It's in, on social media, it's online. And I think they were trying to embody that noted, the, that idea of reification by doing that and showing that, hey, AI is so sophisticated that they can actually build a model of a real person just based on your preferences. Um, and frighteningly accurate. Frighteningly accurate, yeah. correct. And so... Um, so it, going back, the reason I think that it, um, we see what we see is because social media isn't real in the sense that you or I are sitting in the same room right now talking real. There's no face-to-face interaction, right? So you could technically be talking to someone who isn't real on the other end of whatever social media apparatus you're using. So there there is a certain amount of unreality to the world that you're in. And you even said, like, the world of social media is different than the real world. It's different because it's technically not a real world. Like it's an ether. We don't see it like in the way that we would see this, you know, my laptop or this mic front stand, you can't touch it. Right. And so there is a part of an aspect of it that uh, technically is constructed that is not in the physical world. And then there's also the argument that it's very real because we do talk to people and, people find each other online and then meet in real life and get married and all those kinds of things. But I think that it obfuscates a lot of the real interaction that we have as humans. And that's why we see a lot of polarity and a lot of antisocial behavior and a lot of, uh, you know, people not understanding facts because they're getting thrown things that aren't actually real. And then they go into the real world and interpret it wrong. And so you take a lot of the stuff that we're seeing politically, the polarization, and then you throw it into a model that already does exactly what they want to do. And you just have, I hate to say fake news, but you just have a bunch of falsities stacked on top of falsities. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, you can say fake news because it is.
0: Yeah. And so it's, I thought that was very interesting as I started to look a little bit more into um, reification itself and how it functions. And and then I was like, well, basically what it's describing, one way you could look at social media is it's, just the reification of the cyber world as a as the real world right versus i go outside and play with my friends and then i come inside and i play with my online friends it's the online world is the world which is sure yeah and that's a scary thing to think about it's like well if the online world is the, is the actual world we have no reason to actually go outside we should just stay online because that is the world that we live in. And in order to make it real, you want someone to be online as much as possible, which is what social media is doing, even though that isn't their reasoning for it. That's what you would want theoretically. Um, and so it, I thought it was very interesting trying to connect those two points. And then, you know, you have your political pundits and stuff who want to sow as much, you know, distrust and and, and trust too with their constituents and the people that they don't agree with. And it seems like this is just a, tailor-made system or map of a world, I think is probably a better way, an abstract of a world, a model, to throw in all of that stuff and just confuse the shit out of people.
1: Yeah. And I look at it a little bit different just because you can go down the rabbit hole of what is real. And
0: that's the problem. Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: I would make the distinction if we want to use, you know, IRL in real life or something, that's just the physical world. Yeah. But I would say, you know, of course, online is as real as real can get because the effects are real. They can manifest in the physical world. And even if they don't, um, if you are communicating with somebody across the globe that, you know, when you're having a conversation, Mm Um, that's still a conversation that you had and you shared thoughts and ideas with another human being. So I think for me, the only distinction between real and not real is just whether or not we're talking about the physical world. And really, I think for the purpose of of this film and what we're talking about today, that's not super relevant, Um, but rather to look at it as the form of connection that we use Mm -hmm. uh, in the world and where that is falling short. Um, there's, I've got a quote here and it's, it's in reference to, as you were mentioning, um, about privacy and you don't want people knowing what you're doing and having your data. Yes. Um, it's not the data that you're after. So the quote is, it's not our data that's being sold. It's the ability to make accurate predictions based on that data. Yeah. And I think that's really important because, um, you know, the advertiser's, really don't care where your house actually is, but if they can get a picture of um, you know, what things you like, what is your personality profile, when are you likely to do certain things, um, what type of people you like to associate with, what are your political views, all this stuff, the stuff that essentially makes you you, that, that fills out the model of you, uh, if they can get that accurately, then they can feed you ads that are going to be more effective. Yes. Um, so they're not going to send you, Bo, an ad for uh, tampons. That's not going to be accurate. But they may send you an ad for uh, a new jujitsu gi from Origin. And the thing is, is when they get it right, it actually feels like they're doing us a, a service. Yes. Um, if you see an ad that is is appropriately targeted towards you, you're like, oh yeah, cool. I'm glad I found out about that. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe you click on it, maybe you don't. But it's not, it's not immediately apparent that what is going on is nefarious. Um, more to the point, what makes this so powerful is we're not aware. We can be influenced and we can be manipulated without being aware of it. And that is happening to a couple billion people every day.
0: They say two point seven billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so, I think manipulation is the key word there. It really is. Yeah, influence. I think it as well, but it's it's more manipulation. It sounds to me, just based on how they're using the data and the the raw power of their trial and error. Right, they get the, they get so good at doing what they're doing that. It's just, oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. And then all of a sudden, all you're doing is liking and clicking shit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, they get, they're so precise about how they do it that it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's incredible to, to see the, the degree of efficiency. Yeah. If I was that efficient as a salesman, <clears throat> whew, <laughs> my goodness, I would not have left my job. <laughs> Well I
1: mean the internet companies are literally the richest companies that have ever existed. Yep. So
0: which yeah it's uh it it definitely is very scary to me. Um there was a couple of scenes in the movie that uh that made that made my girlfriend chuckle in particular. Um there were two main ones. The the first one was there's the, there the, there's like a cuz half the movie is the interviewees that the real people that worked at these companies talking about the things that they've noticed and how it works to some degree and whatnot. And then it's interspersed with a small like mini movie with actors mm-hmm. who are playing parts. And um, it's a family and with a, two daughters and a son and like the daughters, like one of the daughters is 10, the other one's like 18, I think. And then the son's like 15 or 16, two of them are in high school. And um, everyone's addicted to their phones and particularly the younger girl who's like 10 and, there's this scene at the dinner table where the mom she realizes that they have this like as seen on TV like uh, contraption where you it's like um it's like, like a, a
1: locking cookie jar
0: like a cookie jar that you could like lock with a timer and it, apparently it quote unquote as per the advertisement cannot be opened until the timer goes off so you can <laughs> you put in cookies and then you don't binge at midnight is the idea. So she's like, everyone, give me your phones at dinner. She throws it into this device and puts it on for like an hour. It's like, we're going to have a dinner for an hour with no phones. And, you know, the awkwardness ensues, right, where everyone's kind of looking around. and It's uncomfortable. And, and then the little girl like gets a hammer out and breaks it and everyone freaks out. And um, everyone grabs their phones, but the oldest daughter and then leaves. And she's just kind of sitting there eating on her own. And she's like, nice dinner, everyone. Like, mm-hmm. and my girlfriend chuckled. She's like, that's you. <laughs> cause like, especially at dinnertime, like I don't give a fuck about my phone. Like, I just want to eat food cause it's dinner time. I care way more about food almost any time of the day than I do my phone. And that really resonated. I was going to tell her the same thing before she brought it up. But I was like, "That's that would be me at a family dinner. It's like, I would care very little about my phone vibrated. Don't give a damn. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely uh, – it was just one of those situations where I was like, this is where I think people uh, people are. Yeah. You know, and then uh, the other interesting one that came up that just, she really got a good laugh at was uh, a couple of the engineers were talking about when they created uh, this, like, re- refresh function on apps where I think you, like – if you're at the top of a, an app and you, like, scroll down – your finger down, it'll um, refresh at the top and then you'll see new things. Mm-hmm. Um, I This happens on my email, on Outlook email. That's the only time I've ever seen it personally.
1: I can see how little you use applications. Yeah. Sir. And so, um,
0: <laughs> and I, I've, I didn't actually know what they were talking about until they're like, you get a little refresh circle. And I was like, oh, that's on my email. I don't do it, but you know what? It's on my email. And they talked about the psychology of it and how like, it's like slot machines. You like mm-hmm. pull the, which I've never done a slot machine. So I don't, um, know the psychol. I've never experienced the psychology of pulling a slot machine down, but I can get it, and it's like it was the same concept. You you don't know if you're gonna win, quote unquote, like get a new whatever, but you you do it anyways. And apparently, people just get addicted with refreshing Facebook and Instagram, and they said Instagram in particular. And you know, I have an Instagram, and I don't use it much, but you know, I do use it. And I turned to my girlfriend. I was like that refresh thingy that's on my email that's it's on Instagram. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I've never seen it. She's like, how do you know if there's like new Instagram posts? I was like, well, I mean, I see them when I open up the app or sometimes there's a little box that says new posts and then I'll click it if I want to, if I'm not reading something and she just looked at me and she's like, What? <laughs> you don't <laughs> again you and i do
1: not use social media like the vast majority no, i, I of know the population of this
0: planet i only have social media because you're required to have a personal account in order to manage a business account I, I believe i haven't been able to find a way to remove my personal account and still be able to log into and manage a business account okay and so um since i have access to the business the, the the um business accounts on Facebook and Instagram for our jiu-jitsu gym it, at least with Facebook I know it was a requirement and uh, which is irritating because I don't give two shits about Facebook and have um, gone to great lengths to remove all personal information this is a slight aside you can't have your first name on Facebook be one letter they don't allow it I tried to just make my first name one letter so people wouldn't know
1: well, they for, for that exact reason. Yeah, it was it's, stupid. And It, it kind of makes sense. Um, I, I do agree with that move on Facebook's part, and they did this quite a while ago, yes. uh, or possibly from the beginning. No, it wasn't from the beginning, but quite a while ago, to do their best for their users to use actual names and actual information as a way to combat uh, fake accounts and, and bots and things like that. Um, so I support that. And, and personally, in my view, things like your name and your address and the items of... Um, personal privacy that used to be a big deal 20 years ago that you would try to guard, that don't mean shit anymore. Yeah. They don't care if they have your real name, your user 153789... Um, And as long as they can identify you as a user, they don't care about your name, but they can send you ads that will be effective, then that's all they really need. So it's... it's um, Privacy has evolved into a very different focus. Yeah, um, and myself personally, I don't, I don't worry as much as I used to about personal information in that sense. Like, oh, I don't want the government to know my middle name, or, or you know, or whatever. Uh, like, yeah, that's that's irrelevant information. And the the profiles that have been established on myself and on yourself, even with very little social media use, um, you know, across the internet. Mm-hmm. They're gonna figure it out pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a shift in the the people that are truly privacy hounds I see oftentimes are worried about things that were important, you know, twenty years ago, or whatever, uh, but really no longer matter. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. focusing on the wrong stuff in terms of your privacy. And I think for most people, it's it's literally too late to to erase your footprint online. I don't even know if that's possible anymore. You can try and you can reduce it quite a
0: bit, but uh, yeah, they they know about you. I deleted or I removed myself from like five or six different Facebook groups. That's the first thing I did this morning when I woke up. <laughs> it was like oh, I can't like delete because I need to use the Facebook and the Instagram account for the for the gym. Like, so I need those. So I was like, well. I'm just going to delete a whole bunch of groups that I follow that I sometimes will read, but I don't really follow that much until I read them because I like some of the content. But most of it I could care less about. So it's like, well, gone. It's going to cut it out of my life. Stop following people on Instagram. I have zero followers except for the gym. That's it.
1: <laughs> well, I think there's, there's an important distinction to be made um, that, it doesn't really matter about any one individual mm-hmm. when it comes to the impacts of this, um, you taking yourself offline has zero effect on what the actual problem is. And oh, even yeah. if you were able to completely remove all your digital footprints off the internet, um, the effect is still there at scale. The problem is the effect
0: at scale. I'd you still know? feel better about it though. Cause I would, be off the grid. That would make me feel personally happier, but. That, that's good. And I would, I would say enjoy that, but it wouldn't. You're it wouldn't, totally correct, yeah. It wouldn't make any progress towards the no, problem not at all, which is un- unfortunate, but. And it's
1: I think it's the important distinction between a person and people. Hmm. Whereas a person should be, um, you know, have their own sovereignty and do what they want within the, the confines of the law, and that's all great. But people as a uh, statistical model that can be used to, um, you know, affect the world in certain ways, whether it's politically or ideologically or, or whatever. Um, the individual, one single person, doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. It's just looking at the statistics of the masses, um, and what the masses are doing online um, is falling prey to the social media manipulation. Um, and you may, you know, you may have the sensation or get the pushback that, well, hey, this is just a tool. You know, who cares? The social media is a tool, I'm connecting with my friends. What's the big deal? But the big deal is that connection with your friends and that the time that you spend online, the information that you absorb is absolutely manipulated. Mm-hmm. Imagine this. Imagine you were to go to Wikipedia. They use the Wikipedia example. Oh, that's, that's one right. of the few places you can go for information that everybody sees the same thing. You go to the same Wikipedia page, you read the same text, uh, and, and that's that. Versus all of the information that you receive on your social media feeds, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, um, are all custom tailored to your user profile. So if they think that you are, you know, right wing or you're into a, a certain topic, they're going to send you more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are discussing a fact and say, "Hey, you know, I, I saw this thing, I uh, read this piece of information," and you assume that the other person you're talking to has had that same information, well, that's an incorrect assumption because everybody's getting their own news and it does not match. It does not reflect actuality. Yeah. It can reflect utter nonsense. It can reflect flat earth theories. Uh, And if enough people see that enough times, they'll start believing it's actually true, uh, which has obviously happened. so it's it's the, and we use this information to craft what we believe to be reality, uh, you know, physically or otherwise, but just the state of the world. And when everybody has a different reality, when it comes to the state of the world, then how could we possibly agree on the best way to move forward? We can't. You
0: know, it's basically all fake news. So... What you're describing, if you extrapolate the, uh, the framework for your explanation, is postmodernism. That's actually what, it's
1: in effect, yeah. Which I believe, or that, at least
0: a couple of tenets of postmodernism,
1: which I think has allowed post-modern,
0: postmodernism, postmodernism mm-hmm. to have its revival. And that's partly w- that. Yeah, I didn't quite get to that when I was explaining reification and how everything maps. But that's the other. That's the other side of why I think reification applies here. Is or why, why I think that, not ratification, but why I think that we're seeing what we're seeing is because of this partly too. It's that there's a model of the world, which is social media that um, allows for tailor-made realities that technically aren't real. You're in a world where reality is subjective and you get subjective realities from everyone else. And so that is your objective reality because it's, sorry, it's your subjective reality because you see it. And the parallel to that to postmodern thinking is quite scary. In particular, there's um, a little bit of a push from what I understand. I don't think it's going to go much of anywhere. It's a, I think it's originating in California at the moment, but there is a push for the voting age to be dropped to 16. Um, so that uh, you know, Gen Z is the one of the larger ones and the most diverse, Um, generation thus far. And so kind of the idea is that they want to have more of those individuals be able to vote on, you know, amplify the voices on the decisions that will affect their future. And so you have, that's scary to to combine those two things. You have a whole bunch of people, kids in particular, who are living online in a world where things may or may not be real depending on how you want to define real. And then they're given the ability to vote on political things Mm -hmm. in the actual real world. And then we haven't even gotten into the psychological effects that it's been having on kids in particular. Big time. Um, In particular, young kids, like under the age of 16 or under the age of 19, I guess. Uh, It's, you know, harm and suicide are up, what, 200%? not quite 200%. Those are up, I actually didn't write those down. It's like 140, some 170%, I, I forget the with, exact numbers.
1: Yeah, with uh, with girls specifically, mm-hmm. uh, self-harm is up 189% in girls 10 to 14, and 62% in girls 15 to 19 since 2009. Yeah, And then suicide is up 151% in girls 10 to 14, and 70% in girls, Fifteen to nineteen. So this is this is having some very real-world
0: um, negative effects. Right. Exactly. And um, and I know that that's a little bit more of a political tangent, but uh, I um, I had ran across that notion of lowering the age limit to sixteen, and um, this morning, com- totally uh, uh, on accident, it had nothing to do with uh, writing notes for this podcast, and I was like, holy shit, like. You take all the stuff we're seeing with with kids, and how they're already being helicoptered and you know, overparented and stuck inside for various reasons, including social media. You know, you're you're seeing this um, world that's being created. That's a map of real life that gives you your own personalized truth of the world, and everything's polarized, and psychologically, kids are. Very damaged from a lot of things. This included, and then just give you the right to vote. (laughs) You know, I'm. I was like, wow. Like, I kind of, to some degree, I understand part of the argument, but it seems to me that I don't want to give. And I'm being general. I'm generalizing here, but I don't want to give unstable teenagers the right to make policy decisions.
1: I agree. I think if you are able to. Um, live successfully on your own in the real world, mm-hmm. um, then you should have the ability to vote.
0: I don't even think, I think, yeah.
1: Well, I think kids nowadays, even at 18- That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah they, they don't have the the experience, well, the, the social experience, and the maturity to, to make these decisions. You can make that claim all the way up to like 30 for millennials. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... Um, to go back, I had another quote here yeah. um, on the- uh, on people working on, on, are getting different information. Mm -hmm. So we are, or we all simply are operating on a different set of facts. When that happens at scale, you are no longer able to reckon with, or even consume information that contradicts with that worldview that you have created. I think that really summarizes uh, very well, uh, a major part of the problem, so to speak. Um, the flip side to that, or the, what makes that so prevalent is polarization is extremely efficient at keeping people online. Yes. And if you want to feed them advertising, you need to keep them online. So the, in, and this came out a little while ago. Um, it was, a, I I think it might've been when Facebook was in front of Congress or something, but the gist of it is that. Facebook has the goal of keeping people online as long as possible, as does any social media network. But the whole the name of the game is just keep them engaged. And it turns out that, and this was not a um, a conscious decision by a programmer, but this was a goal given to an AI algorithm. That what we're looking for is people to stay on longer. So AI. We want you to figure out the best way to keep people engaged. And what turned out to be the best was polarization, pissing people off. That hmm. keeps people engaged. Um, so again, it's important to realize like that there's not one bad guy that said, oh, we're going to polarize the world. It was giving the AI the goal of keeping people engaged. And as it turns out, human beings will stay more engaged when they are enraged. Um, And that's kind of where we're at because to to undo that, to say, oh, crap, that's bad. We shouldn't do that will cost billions because if people aren't as engaged, then they're not going to be seeing as many ads, yada, Mm -hmm. yada. Um, So there is an enormous financial incentive to uh, not rock the boat in that sense.
0: Yes. Um, And I don't necessarily blame tech companies or social media companies for doing all that they can to turn profits. It, it's an interesting conflict because there's a, there's a moral dilemma at hand, like an actual moral dilemma. And, you know, that is at what point in, uh, um, Tristan Harris, he was one of the interviewees. Tristan, Tristan, that's right. Mm -hmm. He was one of the interviewees who, uh, He's given, I've actually saw, when I saw him, I recognized him. I actually watched a TED talk. It was a couple of years ago on, I forget what it was on, but I've, I've seen him talk. And that was his big thing is he brought up to Google, like, we have a moral obligation to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the people. Cause otherwise this is just going to get out of control.
1: Well, he is the, uh, the co-founder of the Center for
0: Humane Technology. Exactly. So, yeah. And, um, And he has a valid point. It's like there's, at some level, you need, as a company, you need to do what would be the morally right thing over the profitable thing. Unfortunately, the legal framework
1: does not support that. Yes. If you are a company, if you are a corporation Mm -hmm. with shareholders, it is your legal obligation to do everything possible within the law to turn a profit. And I mean, right up to the edge of the law and into the gray zones and everything. It is all about the profit. So um, morals are not profitable.
0: No. So they do not equate. And there are companies that have a, a more moral bent, but they don't do as well. Yep. And that that's because it's a cutthroat competition. And it also isn't clear to me exactly where the line is. I think it varies depending on, you know, maybe the uh sector that you're in, like where where is the business morally responsible? And then the bigger I think the bigger issue for me personally is because it is a problem at who is responsible for enforcing morality upon these businesses?
1: I think you could you could shift from a focus on morality and just shift it to harm, is what you are doing as a company harming other people uh, without their knowledge or without their consent? And if it is, can't do it.
0: See, I could see problems with that though because I understand, I think, kind of where you're going with it, but harm would have to be very clearly defined and I'll give you an example. Um, Currently, Facebook is doing a bunch of things where they um, will either not allow posts to be found or they're putting little like stickers on them to let you know that it's false or something like that. They're letting viewers know that they're, whatever a person posted has, the post has problems with it. It's hateful, however they define hateful. It's not true based on their fact checkers, all these kinds of things.
1: They've done this to several of Trump's posts.
0: Yeah. And and um, so... However, you define something that is harmful. What if someone posts something on Facebook that is mean, and Facebook's algorithm or other people don't pick it up, and it's harmful? Is Facebook responsible for me calling someone a bad name? Because, like, as in a, you know, as part of that example, um, some individuals and groups literally believe that words are violence. We've talked about this before, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so there's this area of Harm has to be completely defined. I mean, mm-hmm. there was, I forget, yeah. I think his name was Darren Grimes. I might be getting that name wrong, but this is this reporter in London who, um, he recorded a podcast with somebody. I don't remember the details of what the individual said, but he said some things. And from what I understand, they were actually were you know, pretty offensive, aired the podcast anyways. And now he was actually arrested or hauled before a court for allowing the thing to be posted because his interviewee said something quite rude. And he may get in trouble as the interviewer for not, I don't, know, I don't know what exactly. Britain has different free speech, they have different laws regarding speech than America does. So I think he probably will get in trouble because they don't technically have what we have as free speech. But at some point, if you, in, you infringe too much, right, you're just going to, harm could be anything. I could call someone, stu- say, I could say that you're, Dan, you, you have a stupid idea. And then you're yeah, like, well, that, no. that that harms my fragile heart. And then all of a sudden, you know, and that's getting a little far, but that would be the one pushback I would have, is it's like that oversight can get so strict so quick.
1: I, I think it's just having a reasonable oversight. I mean, yeah, yeah I, you do not have a right to not be offended. Mm-hmm. Um so based on that, I think that cuts out a whole bunch of shit. You can call someone a name, that's just free speech, move on. Yeah. Um, but if what you are doing is um, causing people to form little militia groups and and Antifa groups and things like that, that are actually battling in the streets, or if it is um, if it's creating false impressions of what a young girl should look like at age 13 because of all the you know the filters and things like that um, to the point where she commits suicide or self-harms that's something that needs to be addressed and again I mean, it's you know, the definitions themselves need to be very thoroughly worked out yeah uh, but I think there is there's a line that can be drawn or at least some very obvious things that can be done well, the minute um, and want yeah. to refine that
0: the manipulation factor of it's where I see the biggest issue is that it's a very subtle manipulation. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's imperceptible. And so proving that I can see that versus someone's own free will, I could see being a very big legal issue. Like how do you, you know, that that would seem to me to be the logical place to go for the laws, like showing ways to prove that Facebook, let's say- manipulated a group of already agitated far-right individuals into forming an extremist militia to attack whatever, or far-left, it doesn't matter, but um, versus them finding each other online because of algorithms and then deciding of their own free will to commit crimes. Um, I could see that being another legal issue too because at what point do you take away the free will of the individuals and place it the onus on the company that you know manipulated them well, to here, a degree here's, here's a real example sure Pizzagate oh yeah that's right they went over that I forgot that thing existed yeah. <laughs> Jesus
1: um, and that had very real world consequences yeah um, one shot somebody yep if you're spreading fake news that is known to be fake news even though it will increase engagement mm-hmm. Um, that ended up causing physical harm in the real world, um, things like that. Like That's where at least a place to start to say, okay, we, we can't spread these conspiracy conspiracy theories in such a way that may encourage people toward violence. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's you know, what's encouraging people. Of course, this all has nuance as life does. Yeah. Um, but social media is re- removing a lot of nuance. So that's... An issue in
0: into itself. Um, so then, it would be it would seem to me that the individual users could themselves have freedom to post, say, "quote unquote" fake news about Pizzagate. But Facebook would then be on the hook for pushing the news itself. Exactly.
1: And they are in control of what we see. That's the thing. It is not a free-for-all. You can see anything. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely in control of what we actually Which is how that consume. took off to begin with. Yep.
0: There was, I don't remember the guy's name. He was one of the old interviewees. He was an older gentleman. And he said, you know, this paraphrasing, but the scary thing is, what if this is in the hands of a dictator or a totalitarian? And, like, and that's what scares mm-hmm. me is like, you have people who, just want to make sure that bad shit doesn't happen. And they're like, well, this seems to us to be fake. We're going to not move it. And then you have someone who doesn't have good intentions. And they do the same thing, but they create a problem.
1: Well, it's already happened. I know. Yeah, and, 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 and 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 so, I think it was in India. that. So in India, when you get a phone, um, and when they say they're on the internet, they mean Facebook. Yeah. The entirety of the internet is Facebook in India for most people. Um, To the point where if you get a phone, it's going to come preloaded, they'll set up an account, and the only thing someone knows how to use is a little Facebook app. So, that just becomes the internet. So, Facebook is in control of the vast majority of the information that is exposed to the Indian people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's an enormous responsibility. Yeah, And their algorithms are creating division- that is uh, is unwarranted and unrepresentative of actual opinions of people, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that has some very negative effects. And it, you're absolutely right. If the 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 efficiency at which a a bad actor, a, you know, a dictatorial government, or whatever, can uh, sow discord, um, so it's not about You know, for example, a dictator wants everybody to believe he's the greatest and vote for him. No, it's way easier than that. We just need to sow enough discord so they're fighting in the streets. And then that will, you know, create the fear as leverage Mm -hmm. to take over a government
0: or something, as example. What do you think might be an acceptable practice if inevitably, um, say Facebook or Instagram wrongly or falsely or whatever, um, attributes, uh, a post on Facebook to something that's not correct or false or fake news? Like what if they see something and they're like, this is bad content and then they suppress it or whatever, but it turns out to not be bad content. What do you think would, should be a good recourse?
1: I don't know. That's something that, that we're, that's being worked out right now mm. in the sense of like shadow bans and things like that like th- that's definitely an issue that goes the other way that uh, actual factual information can be suppressed um and I don't know I don't have the answer for it um you know we see that as a problem but it's a very complex problem yeah that you know and that's, that's one that's of my solution. Yeah.
0: that's one of my bigger problems with the the notion of these you know social media companies having control over and making decisions on what gets seen and what doesn't at a more like a micro level is that I, I part of me doesn't want a very large company or or the government to have that much control over things versus just having all the data and just kind of letting it filter i see the benefit of not showing things over others so that we don't incite violence or riots or cause mass deaths and things like that and spread too much false information. But the other side of that coin is if if they have a microscope on things and they get it wrong, people aren't going to see the information that they need to see. And I I could easily see Either training the AI to have a microscope on certain things, at which point it would seem reasonable that the AI would then essentially do to itself what it does to humans, which is it would give itself more of the things that it finds to be false and then make more mistakes because it's only given certain types of information that's not right or not false or whatever. Or they have humans do it and humans are just naturally biased and so if you get the wrong humans making these decisions, I think that's where a lot of shadow bans come from. I don't yeah. know that for sure, but that seems to be the thing is that you have a lot of humans going through and making these things. And it's like, you know, what we talked about Brett um, Weinstein. I got it right this time. Nice. Um, how his Twitter was banned yeah. with no explanation for like four days because he, he didn't actually understand why and they never explained. And his hypothesis is that someone, and I think it's probably correct, someone at Twitter whose job it is to go through and do this, was like, I don't like that this person is trying to create a third party in the government and doesn't like one of the sides. Um, so I'm gonna ban them. And then it'll take four days to get it restated. Mm-hmm. And like that's, I could see that being a legitimate issue in a polarized era where everyone's online anyways. It's like, that doesn't surprise me that if they have more control over being able to do that, they then can just hire people to do it all the time. And I, I could see that being a problem. I
1: see two problems. I see one is doing exactly that at scale. Yes, is having people that can put eyeballs on all the content in the internet. That's that's just literally impossible. But the other thing is, I don't think the focus should be so much on suppressing potentially, you know, inaccurate or you know whatever material, but it is having the having a more balanced um, distribution of that stuff. Meaning um, if you're gonna see a flat earth conspiracy video, then we should also feed you one that says flat earth is bunk. Yeah. So rather than allowing these incredibly refined echo chambers to
0: form. Exactly, yeah.
1: It's the importance of having contradictory information presented and then allow the person to make a decision based on access to that information. And and beyond that, I don't think that, you know, the companies should really be involved. If, you know, if you're an autonomous person, well, here's the information you've seen both sides. If you still think the earth is flat, that's on you. Mm -hmm. Um, But to continually be suggesting videos and articles that all say the same stuff. uh, And uh, we only have finite amount of time. There's only 24 hours in a day. We can, easily, easily saturate every waking moment you have with a certain message to the point where you're going to feel that it's true. But if there were a, uh, a, an emphasis on making sure that multiple sides of a given talk, topic are at least presented, I think that would go a long way. I'm sure it's not the you know, ultimate
0: solution, but it would help. It would seem to me to be a good start for a framework. For me, I think that any framework that we do have should be, I think I'd use this term like in one of our earlier podcasts, but um, you liked the idea of clear lines. I, I, I described it as more of like a, a lake that's multi-shaped. It's got a bunch of different curves into it. So you, you can push it, push the boundaries of it, and it'll reform. Um, that seems to me to be like the kind of framework where you can You kind of have a rough idea of where the lines are, but it's not too constricting. And that's what I would want is something that has some restrictions. It has some constrictions, because there should be, Mm -hmm. but something that isn't so that isn't so oppressive that um, it'll just create more problems than it solves by and large, which I feel like is what would happen if you give, say, Facebook the control to you know monitor their own all the posts on their on their page, um, I forget which of the interviewees again, it was, but they had mentioned that, um, Facebook was basically like, let us govern our own selves when it comes to all of this. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, no, that's not going to work. And it's like, <laughs> see my comment on being a profit driven corporation.
0: Well, the oil industry did this for 40 years, <laughs> you know, and, we had, like, three major oil spills, one up in Alaska, one, two, two, I think, in the Gulf of Mexico in the last, like, 25, 30 years, and then one, I believe, up uh, just north of Russia. Um, there was a pretty – I believe there was one up there too, but I know the two in the Gulf and then one in Alaska were pretty big, and um, Alaska particularly is the Exxon Valdez one, if I remember correctly, and, like, they went up before the government and the, some judiciary hearing and, like, went through everything, and it, like – they were self-governed for, there was very little restriction. So they're like going through all the problems and like, they fucked up everything. Li- like it literally line by line, like pretty much everything was like, they just didn't do it. Or they did, they, they used worse this or worse that, or, you know, they, they didn't check this properly enough, or they went way faster than they were supposed to, like all these kinds of things. And because they got to get where they got to get when they got to get there, you know? It, um, yeah,
1: well, I mean, what would you expect? It's not a huge leap well, in logic that no, i going to the right. result.
0: Exactly, and I was like, of course they're going to do that. It reminds me of uh, kind of how long-haul truckers work, right? Like, they can only legally be on the in, the in a truck driving for like 10 hours a day or something. But they have to travel, let's say, you know, somewhere that's five days away, and they're only given like tw- two and a half days to drive there, and there's like no way to do it like with drive time 10 hours a day to do it in that time, you have to drive 15 hours a day to get there. And so that's what long haul truckers will do is my dad used to date a long haul trucker and she met, she had two sets of books. She'd fill one out legally and then she'd fill out the one she actually did, which was a 14 hour drive day. And then she'd get there on time according to the schedule they had to do, which is you actually can't even do using the realistic or legal driving times. It's like the same thing. It's, you kind of have to cut corners and I don't blame them at all for doing that. It, it, caused a lot of problems and it was very dumb because they spilled millions of gallons of oil and drilled up from the ground into large bodies of water and killed shit tons of the ecosystem in in Alaska and in the Gulf of Mexico. But it's like, that's what happens when you self govern. Yeah. You know, like you said, a profit driven corporate corporation. It's like, I don't, I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg or anyone at all anybody don't care who it is i don't trust them i don't even trust my own grandma who i love and i think is one (laughs) of the most amazing humans in the world i would have a hard time trusting her monitoring something as large as all of the comments on facebook because she's biased
1: well i don't even think it's so much like the comments and stuff it is and i see what you're saying i mean it's, it's an impossible task yeah but it's the recommendation engines that's what's feeding us. Let yeah. people say what they want to say, but the recommendation engines are the things that these companies have control over and are having the biggest impact.
0: Um, yeah. And I don't want the government to have, that's the other thing too, is how much of, because if, if it isn't Facebook that does this, that monitors this, they self-govern, then who? You know, it, that kind of goes to the government. There isn't really another you can't do it, at least in the US, you can't do it via by state.
1: Well, that's the that's the purpose of the government, yeah. to govern.
0: But <laughs> I also, you know, am reticent to give the government that kind of control over things. Though they have similar control over they they were saying in the movie, the government does have similar control and has laws over um media and advertising on TV, in particular as it relates to kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um which isn't surprising, and I think is a good thing. I didn't ever notice this as a child, but during like Saturday morning cartoons—I don't know if that's even real anymore—but it was when I was a kid, and they didn't allow certain commercials to be, you know, shown. Yeah, from like you know eight a.m. to like noon on TV, just on it. Yeah, I guess, or on certain channels, maybe even two. But and that seems reasonable. But that's the government doing a good thing. Exactly, and uh, you know, I think that they. My assumption is that they probably tweaked that over the life of TV, from when it was created to, you know, the '90s and 2000s when I was a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons. They probably had to fumble with it a bit, but I would be concerned, especially with the polarized, the polarization in our, you know, in our our political polarization. I would be concerned about the government getting control of that and going too far with it. That would be a legitimate concern I would have whether or not it'll come to fruition. I don't know, but it's not something that I generally would want them to be able to do, but I don't see any other alternative.
1: I think it's a matter of finding or creating a governing body that pulls from all sides of the political spectrum, so to speak. Yeah. Um, something, something kind of like unity where there are, you know, both sides of the political aisle being represented and, the the structure of that organization at the outset is defined in a way that uh, ensures it has that it's it's doing I'm trying to phrase this basically safeguards against um, going any one direction mm-hmm.
0: that it's you know it's fair to yep. say it uh, over simply I actually uh, found this kind of funny so because I Abhor social media and I don't really like the government either. And um, I found it ironic that uh, I I don't like social media because of its invasiveness, its lack of transparency, and kind of the manipulative nature of it. And I kind of feel similarly about the government. And it seems to me that the actual, the only plausible solution to fixing the social media problem is to have the government fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it reminded me of the, uh, um, What's the quote? The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And uh, <laughs> I was watching The Office the other day, and um, there's this scene where Dwight Schrute is a talking head, and he's talking about how um, you know Jim is his enemy, but Jim's all, Jim's the enemy of his enemy, which makes Jim his friend. And he's like, but Jim's his own worst enemy. So the enemy of my friend is my enemy. So Jim is my enemy. <laughs> And so he, you know, he, the kind of, as he does in the show, he talks himself into a circle that he can't get out of. And, and it, it just reminded me of that. It's like, basically like, I, I like neither of them. And this is just a fuck problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: I see. I would, I would say it's not government per se. It's not the idea of government that I would be against. It's the over-implementation of it. Yes. Government is necessary. We need, <laughs> we need to be governed. Um, and so anarchy doesn't work. We know that, um, but it's how it's done. So to globally say that the government is never a good idea, I don't think that's the way to go, but I would say the current implementation of our government and most other governments is uh, not aligned with their, um, their citizens' best interest.
0: Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's also a, uh, a Gutenberg revolution. In terms like social media is in terms of its ability to reach people, you know, like it's one of those things that there's so much growth between how we used to communicate and how people used to be reached via the newspaper and magazines and just the TV and now, and I don't know how we're going to deal with that socially. Like not, not even just with the manipulations say, from social media companies, but we touched on a little bit earlier, but with, uh, Young girls in particular, you know, they're having massively increased issues of, you know, self-harm, suicide, depression, anxiety, um, body dysmorphia issues, like all of this. And it's like, you can't. We're not getting rid of social media. Like, cat's out of the bag. Now it's yep. not. It's not going away. It's not like. We're, I mean, h- how do you suppress all of social media? First off, like that's going to create that's going to create a shitstorm. But it, if it's even possible, you can't. Yeah, act- the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, that's- you can't actually shut the actual internet down. That's actually not. I, I guess that's been proven to be actually impossible. There's no physical way to like turn a button and then it all just shuts off. Yeah. So that seems. And they didn't really touch on this in the social dilemma. So maybe we can come. Uh, move past this, but that seems to me to be an additional problem that this has created in that we're getting information super quickly. It's evolving so fast that we can't keep up with it. And as a result of the evolution, it's changing the rules for how we engage socially so fast that there isn't a way for humans as a group, like socially socially, to adapt in a way that's proper and healthy. Yeah. Right? Like one of the, the guy who created the, the like button, he's like, I just, I thought it'd be really good if people could see something and like it. And they'd have that little spike of, you know, dopamine and be happy about getting, you know, they'd be happy that they liked something and it made them feel connected. And he's like, I never thought in a million years that like girls would get depressed and cry because they didn't get enough thumbs up on their Facebook posts. Yep. And it's like people are getting traumatized over a Facebook like.
1: Well, I think that, that kind of, that illustrates there's a couple different aspects to this in that one problem that we're currently experiencing is the siloing of information, the echo chambers and all of that, mm-hmm. which is feeding everybody a different reality. Uh, we kind of talked about the problems of that. But then there is also this human tendency to... Um, you know, to, to portray yourself as good as you can and with these tools, you can portray yourself in a way that is, you know, completely unrealistic, where, uh, you know, doctors are being asked to perform surgery on people so that they look more like their Snapchat filters. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that, that's a real thing. Um, so there is the the even distribution of information and to go back, like when you mentioned the the Gutenberg uh, revolution, when the newspaper became a thing and even when radio became a thing and when television became a thing, when people would consume this media, they were all consuming the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's only a handful of channels that you can listen to. So if something is crazy, it will reach the ears or the eyes of enough people that somebody's gonna stand up and say, hey, this is bullshit, and they can push back against it. Whereas now, Um, If you're talking to your neighbor, they may perceive reality in a completely different way because of the information that they have consumed um, versus how you see it. So now you're not talking about the same world when you're talking about stuff. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you may have the sensation of, oh, my God, how could they possibly believe whatever? Because you've seen so much information to the contrary. Well, they haven't. And they're thinking the same thing against you. How could he possibly think that's not true? Look at all this information I've got. Um, and again, at scale, that's when it becomes the, you know, we'll call it a systemic problem that we're experiencing right now globally.
0: Yeah. Well, this is the actual problem that people face when it comes to the social justice movement. Like people who are you – know, we've talked a bit because you and I have, both have issues with the social justice movement as a whole and the theory behind it, and that's mostly what I'm reading about now. And I'm reading this in physical books, not online, just to be clear to to our, to our listeners, um, so I can get the actual words from the actual authors and the theorists of this. But I think one of the big things for people to understand if they're dealing with individuals at work or diversity teams or friends that they know who are – very big on social justice. It's and it's hard to have conversations. The reason it's hard is what you just said. They they're literally viewing the world th- differently. Yep. It isn't that they just think that you're you're viewing the same world and you're wrong. That's that's actually completely incorrect. It's that you look at the world one way, and they look at the world completely different. And the way that you look in, at the world is actually not compatible. With the way that they look at the world. Yes. And then, you know, to tie it back to the social dilemma that we're talking about, you, th- and that, that's ideological. That's actually part of the theory that's been written and has been expounded upon for at least since the 70s. It actually, postmodernism does go further back than that, uh, some of the ideas. And so for 50 years, let's say, that idea has been
1: the idea of postmodernism.
0: Yeah. And this notion of lived realities and n- objectivity not being possible in subjectivity, which would be lived experience and um, the idea that individualism is uh, not real and that you're, uh, depending on where you fall, immutable characteristics about you are primary, so race is usually the one that most comes up, gender, sexuality the others right now, um, all those kinds of things have been around for a while. And so you take all of those and then you throw those into a model for the world that doesn't also think that reality is real. And this is why you have a – again, to tie it back, this is kind of why you see this problem online is that it's the same thing. It's just manifested fundamentally. And from a framework standpoint, it's kind of the same thing. They're just put online. Yeah. (laughs) Disseminated to everybody in a similar manner.
1: Yeah, I would say they're similar, not exactly the same. They're not. It's correct. That, you know, one's personal subjective experience of their life is one thing. Mm-hmm. And the set of facts that are being presented to you as the way things actually are is another. Um, they, they affect each other, but they're, they are slightly different. Um, not that I think either of them are good. No. And I mean,
0: if you're having an issue with the concept of objective truth, then the way that you quote, unquote, perceive the world is how you perceive the world. So it doesn't matter that you're given different information than me. That's the information you're given. Like by definition, you're, by definition, you and I are going to perceive the world differently than someone who's a woman or someone of color. And someone who's a woman and of color or in, further down the line, someone who's black, man, and gay, wh- how, how, whatever the case, we all receive different things in the world. Mm-hmm. And there there is actually some truth to that, but it's the same concept online. Like we are, we're all getting different truths, as it were. Yep. Right? Even though – and that's partly where postmodernism does get it right is that – While I disagree with its notion that objective reality or objective truth is not possible, um, I do believe in its assertion that there's an infinite number of ways to view the world. Like, I think that that's actually true. That does present a problem, and we're seeing part of that problem right now is that you have – they had – in the movie, they were showing um, people typing in um, climate change into their, like, Google browser – and they were, you know, I guess, supposedly showing it at different places in the States or in the world. And there's all these different answers, depending on, it'll fill in, exactly. auto-fill in different answers from different people in your
1: house. That's the recommendation engine. and yeah.
0: the, Right. So that's kind of that issue is that like all of your, that, that alone will create different truths for people. And it's like, while there may be an infinite number of ways to view the world, there are only a finite number of ways to view the world in which it's, more correct to view it that way.
1: Let me see. I have an idea. Let me see if I can, uh, if I can get a finger on this. I would say that there are an infinite, different, an infinite number of ways to experience the world, yet there is only one way to accurately describe the world. This is the atomic weight of this atom, which makes up this molecule, which makes up this object. And we can describe it mathematically in a way that is consistent no matter who's taking the measurements. But what that means to any given person could be very different. But the description itself, which can be validated, you can check that description, you can weigh it, you can measure it, um, that should be consistent and accurate.
0: Yeah. I'm going to noodle on that. because <laughs> Sorry. I, I, so I actually, to I, I, I agree with you. But in an attempt to try and articulate the things that I've been reading and to formulate, I guess, counter-arguments to what you and I would argue, um, using those things, I'm trying to think through how. One of the ways that that would be broken down is that because you and I, because we're both white men and we're white straight men, we view the world a certain way. And people who view the world like us over time have tyrannized and colonized. And because of this, people who aren't like us, some people view the world through, view the way that we view the world as something that's bad and therefore should not exist, roughly speaking. So since that, Way of viewing the world or of knowing the world is has in part created the measurements you're discussing. That would make them invalid. That would be one argument. I don't necessarily personally agree with that argument. I, um, but I understand in part the logic behind it, though I don't think it's correct. The other way too, and this is more of a shaky argument, is that let's say I put something on a scale and it weighs something. I could adjust the scale and it would weigh something different. I could use different things to measure it, so maybe you put it on an electric scale and it weighs one pound, whereas I use uh, alternative scales and it weighs three rocks. I could then argue that it does weigh different things than one pound because I'm using different elements to weigh it with. That would be the other argument, but that's more of like a a philosophical argument than it is like an actual, uh, I guess, applied or practical argument. Um, I don't,
1: yeah, see that. I, to me, I wouldn't even accept that argument, um, with the understanding that there is an objective reality to be found. Mm-hmm. And if 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 you're going down the road of there is no objective reality, there and, and two plus two doesn't equal four, and any of that, then there's nothing left to discuss. But
0: yes, I um, agree.
1: Yeah, you can you can have different units of measurement, sure. But all of these things, whether it's one pound or three rocks, mm-hmm. can eventually be using logic and reason can be described and say translated. Yes. Well, how much does the, ro- the, the rock weigh? Well, the rock is a third of a pound. Oh, okay. So one thirds, third, three thirds, it's still one pound. Um, there are logical ways to go about um, comparing different units of measurement and coming down to what ultimately is a mathematical description of what a thing is. Mm-hmm. Um and at, at that point, it still points to an objective reality. You can describe it differently, sure, yeah. But when you get into the descriptions and what those meanings actually are, then it's going to be the same thing.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I think the biggest argument there is that it's it's the rejection of the objective reality that's the problem. Yeah, you, you got to go away with that. That's that's
1: you can't have a functioning society with that. So they can fuck no, off. They can believe it if they want, but they don't get to make policy.
0: Yeah, and I I, I think too that. M- it's entirely plausible that not having a functional society is the goal for some, probably not for all, but for some. Yeah. Um, Though we kind of got off on the rails. That was my fault.
1: (laughs) But I will bring it back by saying social media has allowed these ideas to flourish in a way that creates a genuine threat to our society.
0: Yes. I wonder too, um, as we talked about government handling things, the other, there is one other option, though I don't know how it would be really enforceable, is parental control. How so? Well, this having parents enforce or have, you know, exert more control over their kids and their kids' usage of social media. You clearly don't have kids. True, I don't. And <laughs> like, again, like I said, I don't know how this is going to actually be enforced. And I, I foresee a large number of issues, in particular the, um, or one of the issues would be like the parental-child relationship. Um, I could, you know, obviously, I I would assume that most parents don't want to irrevocably ruin their relationship with their, you know, adolescent or tween. Um, There's the ostracization that would occur, that could occur from the the tween, you know, the kids' peers if they don't have social media. Um, I didn't have a phone until I was, you know, 18, so I'm not really familiar with that. I didn't care. I also have just never really given a damn. So I'm unique in that, but I'm sure that a lot of kids get made fun of when they don't have phones or social medias or can't, that kind of thing. And that can hurt. Um, And then the other, the big issue that I saw is the issue of uh, exerting force such that authorities are alerted. And I don't mean necessarily like actually like abusing your kids. I want to be very clear, but being, enacting strict enough rules in an age of social media where kids will complain about it. And then I've heard of, I've heard of situations where parents have, you know, grounded their kids or restricted social media time, that kind of thing, or hanging out with friends. And then the kids went online anyways and complained about it. And then in one case in particular, and I don't have the information at hand, I couldn't find it, but um, I was looking for it before the podcast, but the the girl complained to all of her tiktok or snapchat or whatever followers about how oppressive her parents are for not letting her like talk to her girlfriend or something stupid and but it was like the a social worker heard about it and like did an unscheduled stop to like check in and do a welfare check on the kid and it became this big issue because wow. because the way she was talking about it, it, it you know she was she was like 12 like she was dramatizing sure. like her parents being like, go to bed and quit, do your homework. And she's like, I'm being oppressed, and this is horrible. And you know, like, oh my God, you know, they're tyrants and you know, tears and all this kind of thing. And and then as a result, like they have to go through the whole formal process of welfare check and asking the kids. And and the, the parents and the family had to like deal with this issue of like, well are we going to lose our kid when we didn't do anything yeah. or in, in, in that case, I don't think if anything happened, like they weren't doing anything, but maybe cases the parents actually are being abusive and it's necessary, but I could see with social media that becoming more of an issue because what do kids do? They go online and they bitch about things. And if you bitch a little bit too much and there's no repercussion and the wrong people or the right people see it, then you have these problems of like the parents don't even know what's going on. They're like, what are you talking about? Like we, it's seven. It's time for homework. It's not time for Facebook, you know? Yeah, that that type of shit infuriates me. I'm just,
1: I'm hoping that that is, uh, you know, not the norm. Uh, there have been abuses of the, you know, social system by kids to get their parents in trouble and stuff like that. That happens. It sucks. It's terrible. Hopefully it's not the norm. I definitely support, you know, limited screen time and access to children. Um, one of the most telling things, the people that created social media, the engineers that built this stuff don't let their kids on it. Mm -hmm. That kind of says it all right there. Yeah. Um, And and again, I I totally support that. Um, You know, until a certain age, maybe 16 or even high school, 15, whatever. um, But to keep your kids off of the devices and specifically off of social media for as long as possible. um, Again, we have paleolithic brains and when a child is developing, that's an incredibly influential and important time of their life. And to subject them to what social media is, is detrimental, period. It, it is fucking with kids. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't a way somehow to introduce them or to use it correctly. I don't know what that is, um, but it's not to say that, it's not to say that social media is evil in any way but it's to say that um, it can be harmful, it can be mm-hmm. dangerous and it needs to be, um, you know, modulated and regulated in how children are exposed to it, how often they can engage with it. Um, and it's a tough problem, you know, I'm not a parent either and I know parenting is tough, so I don't, you know, have a, a specific formula, but I think it starts with strong limits on screen time. Um, that they can only be healthy.
0: So. I'm just going to make my kids grow up in the woods. <laughs> no internet, no electricity, just a fireplace, books. They don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the solution. Everybody move to the woods. They're going to live in the mountains, you know, hunt our own food, grow our own crops, <laughs> come into town once a month. <laughs> yeah, your kids will love you for
1: that. <laughs> You'll be a Quaker.
0: Right. Exactly. Now, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's uh, Jonathan Haidt mentioned something interesting about, you know, kind of bartering, bartering with your kids, like to try and set ground rules, but also give them a little bit of autonomy with it. Like how much, how much of this is, it, how much is your time worth? Like how much do you think you need and what can we trade for it? Right. You know, and, um, and then being firm on some of the rules, like at, at a certain point, like there is just no phone don't care um which that's more of my style is it's like i will break your phone (laughs) and then i just won't buy you a new one because i don't give a fuck now i say that now without a kid but i um, i like to think that maybe you put a 13 year old kid in front of me he was mine and i I would say the same thing i probably wouldn't i probably cave but (laughs) um, well the
1: reality is if they're on your data plan I'll just take it right off,
0: yeah, right, exactly. You can pay there's, for your own, you
1: yeah, know, lock you out the uh, Wi Fi, and yeah, I don't know. I'm not a parent, obviously, but uh, there has to be a solution in there somewhere.
0: My opposite by the time I am a parent and my children get to the age where I think it's appropriate for them to have a phone, all this will be figured out, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about it.
1: <laughs> so, in, in In the context of of how big a problem this is, I got a couple of quotes. One is from Renee Deresta, and uh, if you listeners are fans of the Joe Rogan program, if you're on the JRE, uh, you've heard her at least once, and she's been an advocate for um, controlling controlling the social media and how it controls us. And she just said simply, uh, "We are seeing, or what we are seeing, is a global assault on democracy." most of the countries that are targeted and country are countries that run democratic elections. So that's to say these tools not only affect us personally, but at a state level, not states like Washington, Oregon, but state like Russia versus the United States. um, These are incredibly powerful tools Hmm. to sway what happens in another country. And uh, Tristan, he said, this is happening at scale by state actors with millions of dollars saying, oh, I wanna destabilize Kenya, etc." cetera. Uh, we in the tech industry have created the tools to destabilize and erode the fabric of society in every country, all at once, everywhere. So that's, the, that's how important this is. Um, you know, it's at a personal level and the way we interact with the people that we know, but it's also, on a global level as to how countries interact with each other and may or may not go to war. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, may, or may incite a civil war within our own country. You know, the, the, yeah. these are the things that need to be uh, made aware of and, and looked at. Um,
0: so I thought of a couple of things that I think would be beneficial to do as individuals to help. Um, people are going to use social media, so I'm not even going to suggest that they delete it. One, one of the things or a couple things that I do is uh, one big thing is whenever I'm listening or learning new information, I make a habit. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me or whatever of looking up an alternative point of view. Generally, what I'll do is if I hear something, like I'll use uh, Jordan Peterson as an example, because I'm a big proponent of um, in particular, his uh, his lectures, his like actual teaching lectures, what he talks about him when he talks about psychology. Um, and he talks about a lot of other things, some of which I agree with, some I don't. But he's got a lot of detractors for a host of reasons, some of which are valid, and I think most of which are just complete and utter nonsense. But I make a habit out of whenever I listen to him pulling up a video, let's say on YouTube, of someone talking about why they disagree with him first off. So I'll do that. And then often what I'll do is I'll look up the individual who disagrees and try and read something by them that's either about the situation or about one of their areas of expertise. So I can get, even if it's not even related, I want to get something that's just a different point of view. Because sometimes I'll hear people make an argument, say against him, and it's, it's just a shit argument. Like I know enough about the situation or what they're talking about to know that they just didn't read because often the case people make snapshot judgments and they don't read enough. Um, and so
1: I would pass the headline. Yeah. So that,
0: that's what I would recommend first off is do what you can to listen to polarized opinions, you know, um, We've I would say t-
1: not so much polarized, just different, different opinions.
0: Different yeah. opinions, yeah. And so, like, as an example, we've talked about this, like, neither Dan nor myself are, are big fans of the social justice, um, the, the woke movement uh, as a whole. Um, for me, really, it's the theory. I don't imagine that the vast majority of in- foot soldiers, let's say, that are on the ground, that are, quote, unquote, activists, um, really have any clue what the heck it is that's going on underneath of this from a theory standpoint But I do disagree with it. And so instead of just disagreeing and being like, you know, fuck the SJWs, I went and bought the number one selling book on critical race theory, which is an introduction to critical race theory. It has more book sales than I think almost any other book on this kind of theory. And it it gets prescribed to every introductory critical race theory class. It's required by the U.S. military for all entrants into the U.S. military to read, which is interesting. Mm, I didn't know that. Um, But... So I went and bought it and read it. And that would bring me to the second thing you should do. Buy more books. <coughs> Buy books. Good luck. Get a library card. Go to the library and read, right? If part of what these algorithms are doing is funneling you information that's designed to be polarized and to give you a certain narrative, the easiest way to, not, or to disrupt that is just to go read a book because a book does and cannot do that. You can choose personally what books you read, but just go rent, just go check one out at the library. Google some books and then Google some books that seem to be the opposite, you know? Um, and then the other, th- and that'll kind of help that. I actually have enjoyed that as I've learned more about theory as a whole, critical race theory, cre- queer theory, intersectionality, intersectional feminism, intersectional theory. They're all different in nuanced ways and um, they're all a part of social justice. Uh, as a whole and they're all fascinating to me. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's said in it, but there are definitely nuggets of it where I'm like that's brilliant. That's really smart. Like I see where you're going with that. I don't agree with the premise of it, but I see where you're taking the, taking it logically. There's some things that I just think are silly, some things where I completely agree with and I'm like that's actually a really good intersectionality. is a good example the the legal the legal reasons that Kimberly Crenshaw invented intersectionality, I think is genius to actually explore the, the issues that um, certain individuals face where you can't put a, you can't just pin it on one type of discrimination. We talked about this before, like black women in particular face this because they get discriminated against, but they can't prove it's sexism or racism because they're both black and a woman. Intersectionality is, is a way to, highlight those issues legally, and then get you know, recompense for it, right? And that's brilliant. It's been kind of co-opted and turned into something totally different over time due to theory, But and there's issues with that that we can go into later on. But yeah, so read more. And then, then the last thing I would do, and uh, don't click on ads. If you have, If you're curious about something and you see an ad, just Google the website. That alone will... That's a good step. Like that. You know, (laughs) and as someone who's who's actually paid for Facebook ads before, um, that'll help whoever, whatever small business is paying for ads, because most of the time it's small businesses. They're paying Facebook for clicks and impressions. It'll help them, because then they won't spend money on the click, but they'll still get someone going to their website, so that's good for them. It's good traffic. Um, But it also, the algorithms are less likely to send similar ads to because you're not clicking on them, even though they know you're going to sites and stuff that still can affect things for you. So that this sort of thing doesn't occur as much. And so, uh, I very rarely do. I actually click on ads. I'll see, see an ad say on Instagram and be like, Oh, that looks kind of cool. I've actually bought a few things from that, but then I'll just pull up my laptop and type in the website or type in whatever the tool is or something and decide if I want to buy it. You know.
1: ironically, I think that, uh, that doesn't help shape your profile as much because Google is going to check out what you searched for, yeah, and say, "Oh, I was looking for this, cool," yeah. and that that gets notated. Yeah, so it's <laughs> kind
0: of one of those where it, um, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, but
1: I got a, a couple here uh, as far as what to do. I tried to glean from the film, and I think first I want to recap what it is we're we're faced with. Um, we have a tool. That's it's not even really a tool, but we'll call it a tool. We have a tool in social media that allows us to connect with each other um, in a way that's never been possible before. And with the understanding that that connection is a biological imperative. So to tell people not to do it, I don't think that's realistic, not gonna happen. You know, I, myself, I'm more introverted by nature, so I don't really engage with social media, Um, but that's just me. And I know I'm in the minority in that sense. And and Bill, you're probably in that same boat.
0: We need social interaction though. We're very social creatures that we we have to have it. So
1: it's a biological imperative. We got to do it. So we're not going to get rid of social media. We, you know, we established that. Um, But we have to understand that in order to make this tool work, that it has to generate money somehow, right? It's not free. You got to have all these computers. And to go back to the old saying, uh, if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. Uh, Or even more accurately, here's another quote from the film. It's the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product. So the only way that these, these companies are making money is by finding ways to change your behavior and perception. So they have a goal that is not in line with your best interest. Okay, so we realize that. Doesn't mean you can't still get value from these things, but if we just go along blindly, we can see that this has, uh, like I said, goals that are not in line with our own. Um, It's really a disinformation for profit business model. Okay, so that's that's what we're faced with. There are some good things we can get out of it. We can connect with our friends, but the way that they are serving this information is not necessarily in our best interest. Um, how do they go about doing this? They go about doing this by um, uh, utilizing vulnerabilities in our own psychology, stuff that we're not even aware of. You can be a, a literal genius with a 200 IQ and still be susceptible to these psychological uh, vulnerabilities and they using AI have been able to find these uh, and, and, you know, effectively use them against us. The same thing, it gets people going back to slot machines. Um, so if we look at it from the context of, I wanna connect with my people, I wanna get this information, but I want to minimize the influence that these social media outlets have on my behavior, here's a couple things you can do. Um, Turn off notifications. That's going to be a big one because having constant notifications, whether it's you know email or Twitter or whatever, just the the little the red bubble or the ringing of your phone, those are um, taking advantage of those vulnerabilities that we have in our psychology, and those are getting us hooked on that constant feed of checking what's going on with your social. So turn off notifications. If you're going to look at your social media, do it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Don't let your phone interrupt you and in whatever it is you're doing to show you something. It should always be intentional. Another one is never accept the recommended video or recommended anything. But this was in That's reference right, to YouTube. Yeah. Um, by by clicking on their recommendations, even if they look great, I'll go down a recommendation rabbit hole all day. Um, but if you can avoid doing that, then that is going to loosen the grip a little bit and you're going to be more likely to see different information. So if you're going down a rabbit hole, you're training the algorithm to keep feeding you the same stuff or similar stuff that might be even less beneficial for you. So if you avoid recommendations and just kind of do your own searching for stuff, that'll help. Um, and there are also some uh, some Chrome extensions for the Chrome browser that will help remove some recommendations. Uh, as Bo mentioned earlier, uh, fact check stuff before you share. And I know that's a pain, but this is an important thing. And before you just read a headline and share an article without actually reading the article itself, um, do a little fact checking. Um, Another really important thing, if it feels like something is designed to push your emotional buttons. We all know what that is. You see the, you know, the headline or whatever, like, oh, I oh, oh, can't believe you said that. Oh, what did Trump say? Uh, so if it feels like it's pushing your emotional buttons. It is. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. Don't fall for it. Um, just try to avoid those things. If it's really if it's something that should genuinely be of concern, you know, Trump said X or whatever, um, come back to it later. You know, go back and, you know, search for, uh, and like, what did Trump say in that speech? But but give it some time and make it a conscious effort to uh, seek out that information. Uh, another one was uh, was vote with your clicks. You know, understand that anytime you click on something, you're helping drive this engine. So if you go down the rabbit holes, if you click on the recommended stuff, if you're clicking on ads, that is informing the algorithm how it can manipulate you. So be aware, vote with your clicks, uh, don't click on stuff you shouldn't. And then the last one, and this is something that I try to do, is um, subscribe to the services that you wanna use. So whether it's you know YouTube, you can pay to not have ads, Hulu, you can pay to not have ads, um, Spotify, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at. Um, if you have the option to pay that company money and not see ads, that is going to be one of the most valuable things to do. And it's going to be one of the cheapest things you can do, because if you don't pay in dollars, you're going to pay with your attention Mm -hmm. and that attention is going to be manipulated. So again, you know, if you don't pay for the product, you are for, you are the product, go ahead and pay for that product. Um, you know, from my experience, just cause I hate ads and stuff like that so much. Uh, I've been doing that for many years and there's a realization that, you know, if I go somewhere and I'm listening to somebody else's Pandora or, or just you know, walking and TV is on, um, when an ad comes on, it feels so foreign to me and it feels offensive. It's like, why is this person yelling at me about dish soap or whatever? It's just, it, it's a really weird way to communicate to people. Um, But when you get used to it, then you just kind of let it flow in and flow out and you're not paying attention, but you kind of are and and all that. Um, if you subscribe to get less ads, it is so nice. Mm-hmm. If you can get the ads out of your life as much as possible, and of course, it's not going to be 100%. I mean, we're, we're inundated all the time. But if, if you make those steps and, and get rid of those ads, uh, it makes for a much better experience. And if you ever get exposed to them again, then you realize like, holy crap, these things are freaking obnoxious.
0: We, um, uh, we have like the normal subscription to Hulu. Mm-hmm. So not not the ad-free subscription. And we don't actually watch Hulu that much. We've actually talked about canceling it because we don't use it very often. But when we do, every time, I get so irritated because it's a forced like 90 seconds of ads. Yeah. And they're all dumb. All of them are dumb. And it, every time it reminds me of that, it's just like, God, it's so irritating. It just... But I also don't know if I want to spend like three dollars a month or whatever the additional cost is because we we or use it if we we use it so little though that's the yeah. reason if we use Hulu every day it wouldn't be a problem we just don't use it every day I would pay three bucks not
1: to see ads in one program yeah that's how long I've been trying to get rid of ads in my life I just uh, it's the worst ever <laughs> uh, but anyway that's that's some stuff you can do that will help just just don't feed the algorithms any more information about you than you need to. And that information is not your name and your address. It's your behavioral choices. And the more it learns about those, the more it learns about you and the more it can manipulate and influence you. So use the tools, connect with your peeps, but be aware of the fact that there is manipulation going on and, and do your best to, to counter that. You know, And proactively go find out contradictory information, see what other people are saying. Try to take control of, uh, of your online life.
0: Well said, Sir Dan.
1: I think that's it for us. You got anything
0: mm-hmm. else, Bo? I'm hungry. All right. That's, number two. that's all I got. <laughs> this has been podcast number eight, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Um, Dan had mentioned one quick thing before we jump off about fact checking. Feel free, please, to do that with us. Um, I don't get things right. Probably pretty often and uh I'm always looking to. Um, all I would ask is that if you do so, maybe try to do so in a polite way. Um, telling me that I'm a horrible human and that I'm wrong, and then giving me the right answer probably isn't the best way to tell me that I'm wrong. You could just say, Hey, this I think this is correct. A lot of people get angry when people are wrong and I don't understand it. It's like I don't I don't really care what the answer is. I just want to know what it is. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter if I am wrong with the answer. I just would like to find out the correct one, you know. So do that. Do that with yourselves. And uh false, fails, sell everything and go live in the woods. (laughs) And with that, I think we're both going to take off. All right. Have a good rest of the day, morning or night, wherever you are. Take care, everybody. Bye.